So moving, moving to today, we are talking about prayer and fasting. In 1969, a young college student named Jeanine Brabon began a prayer uh, uh, service before her Christian college's chapels. Um, she, she gathered friends of hers, and 30 minutes before the chapel, she would pray. Uh, many colleges, this is in 1969, there's a lot of social upheaval. There were lots of riots. The Vietnam War, the protests were going on. Um, the college, and her college was having major problems with illegal drug use and, and racial integration. Uh, this was 50 years ago. It's amazing. We still have the same problems now. But on January 2nd, 1970, she called her friends to do a 30-day prayer focus where they would, as college students, commit to prayer and study of the Bible for 30 minutes a day. And they would write down the things that God was telling them in their quiet time. Um, they, uh, this ended on January 31st. In the journals written down where we believe God is going to move big on our campus. We, we believe that, uh, that, that God is going to call us to be uh, national influencers. These were things that were written down in their prayer time. Three days later, after the 30 days of uh, a focus ended, February 3rd, 1970, a revival hit their college. And you may have heard of this college. It was called Asbury College in Wilmore. A huge revival hit in 1970. The revival lasted 185 hours. They showed up to chapel on, on February 3rd, 1970. And the speaker, who was the dean of the chapel, as soon as he walked up, he, was going, he had prepared a sermon, and he was planning on preaching, and he felt this powerful conviction not to preach. Now, for a preacher to not preach, that is really something. You know that's from the Lord, because that is not from inside us, okay? If, if we've put the work in, and we are ready to preach, there isn't anything except the move of the Lord that's going to stop. So he, he said, I do not feel... Like, I can preach, so what I would like to hear are student testimonies, completely spontaneous. Well, as soon as he did that, people started running for the, the, the Spirit of the Lord hit Asbury, uh, Asbury Chapel, and people ran forward and began, lined up at the microphone, and instead of talking about how great they were or the things that they had done, they began to confess and repent and the, the, of the things that they had done, how they had not followed the Lord fully and how they had not followed the Lord perfectly, and, and the, all of a sudden, revival hit, and for 185 straight hours, there was prayer and worship in that chapel. Classes were canceled for a week. And other colleges who were experiencing riots and, and unrest heard what was going on at Asbury College over there in Wilmore. And they asked students to come and share at their, at their colleges. So teams from Asbury College went out all over America. And wherever they went, revival started there as well. Amazing. That is the power of prayer and fasting John Wesley, the great revivalist in England, said this. He's the founder of Methodist Church, leader of the Methodist uh, Wesleyan Revival in England, lived by the motto that God does nothing except in response to prayer. And he backed it up by waking up at 5 a.m. And, and spending the first hour of his day in prayer. You see the effect in this. The Bible is full of commands to pray, full of the benefits of prayer, with challenges and examples of prayer. And yet, prayer seems to be very absent in the lives of people today. 
It's true. In fact, theologians are writing articles and dissertations about a new phenomenon, the prayerless Christian. The prayerless Christian. So why is prayerlessness so prevalent among people who are Christians? Well, I'm glad you asked. The first thing is this. This is why prayer, this is what stops us from being people of prayer. First thing is sin. Plain and simple, sin. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We as mortal people can actually stop the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, Your prayer life, I heard this, your prayer life will stop your sins or your sins will stop your prayer life. Let me say that again. Your prayer life will stop your sins or your sins will stop your prayer life. They don't coexist. As one goes up, the other decreases. Remember that we're in a spiritual war. We're in a spiritual war. The Bible talks about spiritual warfare. We are in a spiritual war. Well, not all war looks like an atom bomb. Not all war looks like a a conflict. Remember, there are different types of warfare, and one of the subtlest signs of warfare is disrupting communications between soldiers in the field and home base. And, and if Satan can get the, the, the communications disrupted between him and his followers, if he can stop the prayer life, then a lot of our effectiveness in this world will be decreased and diminished. The Holy Spirit is living in you. He is in constant communication, the Bible tells us. He's in constant communication with you, leading you, guiding you, comforting you. That's what Jesus tells us in John 14. But uh, when, when, when we have sin in our life, unconfessed sin in our life, it grieves the Holy Spirit. It, 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 it crushes the work of the Holy Spirit, and we cannot hear the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's what happens. A lot of times, a lot of times, sin is what stops us from praying. So the first thing we have to do, we have to approach the Lord in confession and repentance and clear the air, reestablish the connection between God and us. The second reason we have prayerlessness, and I, I'm speaking to the parents in here maybe, lack of silence. Luke 5, 15 through 16 says this, the news about him, meaning Jesus, spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I once heard a pastor say, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. It's the same result. The same result is if we're bad or if we're busy. Um, See, Jesus had to actively withdraw from people to get alone with God to pray. He wasn't good enough to have the TV on, have have people uh, asking him questions and everything, and pray. He wasn't good enough to do that, so what makes us think we are? If Jesus believed that it was important to get away and get silence, then we have to do that too. And I, I have to, I'm concerned that we don't have space to do that. And, and sometimes I find myself thinking that Jesus had it easy. I just have to confess real quick. Because Jesus wasn't married and Jesus didn't have children. Um, he wasn't a husband or a father. If he wanted to just get away, he could. He could. Sometimes I wonder if when I would read this, if this is applicable to me as a husband and a father of three um, I, do, there is no space, there, there's no place, and parents will understand this, there's no place we can go where we're not needed. We're always needed. There's no silence. You know, does God expect us parents and, and, and spouses to keep the same schedule as Jesus? I, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder. And that's no disrespect to single people or people without children. I know you're busy too. 
It's just that I've been married for 24 years and a father for 21, and I can tell you it's hard to find silence. It's hard to find silence. So as parents and spouses, I get it. When I say lack of silence, I don't want the parents to say, well, uh, that's just not applicable to me. I get it. I really do. But I don't think God would create the position of spouse and parent with all the demands uh, and and expect us to keep the same schedule as somebody without those, those roles. But I do think that the point stands, you guys. We don't have enough silence in our lives. And that leads us to prayerlessness. And because we don't, like I said, we neglect the important practice of prayer because there's just no silence. And when there is silence, our brains are so conditioned to need stimulus that we can't even focus. Um, number three reason why we have prayerlessness in our lives, things we need to, to attack, is that we're just overwhelmed. Um, 1 Peter 4, 7 says this, be clear-minded and self-controlled so you can pray. Clear-minded and self-controlled so you can pray. Uh, many times when I approach God in prayer, I get the sense, where do I even start? I really do. I can spend all day just dealing with my own messiness and my own brokenness. But I'm called to pray for leaders of our country, for revival in the church. I'm a pastor, and I love every one of you. Uh, for, I, I, I need to be praying for you all by name, praying for the teens in our church especially, um, uh, pray, pray for the, uh, pray for my, my future, um, my, my, ch- my children's future spouses. I'm a father and a husband. I need to be praying for my wife and my children that they'll always walk with the Lord. I'm concerned about the drug epidemic. I need to be in prayer for those that are, that are not only uh, actively in active addiction, but the, the law enforcement that has to deal with that. Um, we've got an election coming up. I don't know if y'all knew that or not. Uh, we've got riots. Uh, race relations, and and see, all of this stuff comes rushing in, and I just kind of throw up my hands and quit. I say, I I don't even know where to start with all this stuff, and I just quit. Well, no, I I don't quit. This is what I do, because I need to have the illusion of being holy. I throw up a, you know, God be with everyone prayer, so that I can punch my time card so that I prayed. Sound familiar? Make sure I check prayer off of my to-do list because I just get overwhelmed. The fourth reason we have prayerlessness in our lives is that we're just discouraged by lack of results. Discouraged by lack of results. Luke 18.1, Jesus told the disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. Jesus, this was an issue for his disciples as well. So he told them a parable about not giving up, about persisting in prayer. And And I find myself praying and nothing happens. I just kind of, I, I get discouraged. I quit. It just doesn't work. And then Satan begins to mess with my mind. He really does because he did this this week to me. He did this this week to me. And, and basically as I was praying, I was, I was just a little discouraged because I'm, I'm praying against violence and I'm praying against uh, just, just everything uh, that's going on in our world. And a little thought popped in my head. And it was, why does God want you to persist in prayer? Is that what kind of father you are? Do you make your kids ask over and over and over and over 30 times, 50 times, 100 times before you give them what they want? Is that what you do? Or, or do you sit there, well, you, just didn't ask, you only asked me 20 times, not 25, so you ain't getting it. That, mind, that, that, that thought was put in my mind. And the, fact, the sad thing is, is I believed it. And I began to argue with God over that. And then I realized where that was coming from. That is not the kind of father God is. And so we have to get rid of that, okay? We've got to get rid of that. 
We are to persist in prayer. We are to not give up. We are to persist until God tells us not to. Plain and simple. And we'll, f- we'll find out why on the other side of heaven. Well, those are the reasons for prayerlessness in our lives. Well, let's take a look at what happens if we are not people of prayer, if we are not, the, if we are not faithful to the spiritual disciplines of prayer and fasting, this is what happens. Number one, we have limited resources to tackle problems and accomplish tasks. We have limited resources. If you do not access prayer, you have limited resources. All right? One of my favorite stories as a dad was when I told my oldest daughter to mow the grass for the first time. We have a hilly backyard, all right, and, 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 it, and it's tough. It's tough to, to mow. Well, we have one of those, we had one of those mowers that had the assist. You know, you had to pull the lever, and it would actually, all you had to do was walk behind it and guide it. Well, um, I forgot to tell my daughter about that. And so I usually got the yard mowed in, you know, 45 minutes, 50 minutes or so. Well, it was like an hour and a half, and she was still out there. And my wife said, what is taking her so long? And we opened the blinds, and there's our daughter pushing the lawnmower with everything she's got. And I said, oops, I forgot to tell her about the uh, power assist. She's pushing it. And, and my wife said, so you think we should tell her? I'm like, nah. <laughs> nah, let's, let's, let's let her do that. So, so, so she finishes up, and she comes in, and she is just exhausted from pushing this heavy mower and everything, and uh, she's like, that was awful, it was terrible. And I said, Casey, let me go show you something. And I showed her the little lever that actually makes the, makes the lawnmower go, and I said, you know, you had this power available to you all the time. All you had to do was pull the lever. And that is how I see so many of us going through life. We have this power available to us through prayer. And instead of praying, instead of starting our days with prayer, instead of pulling the lever, we just kind of try to push the mower ourselves. And we have limited resources. We are, have limited resources, just what we have in our natural bodies. That's all we have, as opposed to this power source available to us. I want you to think maybe about Samson and his hair, the story that, that if you went to VBS, you know the story about Samson's hair. His, his strength was in, was in you know, God's spirit was in his hair. He was a Nazarite, not supposed to have his hair cut. And when, when his girlfriend tricked him into shaving off his hair, he lost his strength. I want you to think about prayer being like that. Are you, are you Samson? So we have limited resources to tackle problems, accomplish tasks. How many of you all, if we had a show of hands, have really made some bad decisions and done some dumb things when you've been apart from the will of God? How many of us have royally screwed things up? How many of us have tried in our own strength and failed miserably? And once we failed miserably, we, we, as broken people, approach God and turn it to God, and all of a sudden, things were a lot better. How many of us have had that? Absolutely. And guys, the lack of prayer in our lives will give us limited resources to tackle problems. Second thing, though, 
that, that a lack of prayer does is that we have diminishing spiritual momentum. And what I mean by that is this. Check this out. This is a quote from one of my favorite pastors, David Yonggi Cho, pastor of the largest, largest church that's ever existed in South Korea, more than a million people. He writes this. During the day, I usually face many problems, as we all do. Before I do or say anything, I pray. This is the difference between acting and reacting. As I study the life of Christ, I notice Jesus always acted, never reacted. To react is to allow people, situations, or circumstances to be in control. To act is to be in control of the circumstances around you. Even when Christ was being judged before Pilate, the Roman governor, he was in control of the circumstances. The way I keep from reacting is to discover the mind of God on each situation that presents itself to me. That is golden, you guys. Uh, whenever, when, when we are not people of prayer, when prayerlessness is our lives, we're always playing defense. Have you ever been that way in life where you're always playing defense? You can't go on offense. You can't accomplish what you think you need to accomplish. You can't do what God wants you to do. You're always reacting. You're running around, putting out fire after fire after fire, always playing defense, always reacting to what happens to you instead of being proactive. I was in a, I remember telling a friend of mine, we asked me how things were going at a youth, a youth ministry I was at. And I had, I, I basically said, I feel like all I do is run around putting out fires, problem after problem after problem after problem. Well, I was a prayerless minister at the time. And that was exactly what I experienced. And guys, this is an exhausting state to live in. I think a lot of people in the church are living this exhausted existence where all we do is react and react and react. We never get to go on offense. It's because prayer is not a part of our lives. like It should be. Prayerlessness keeps you simply reacting to what life throws at you, you guys. Instead of going on offense and accomplishing what God put you on this earth to do. Third thing that happens with prayerlessness is just a breaking of relationship. Breaking of relationship. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus gives us these chilling words. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. There's going to be a bad day for a lot of people when that happens. Jesus says, many will say, many. I don't know if that bothers you like it bothers me. I'll, I'll tell you this, one of the worst things this year has brought, it's been a tough year. One of the toughest things has been the breaking of relationships. There are people I used to see every Sunday, every Sunday that I haven't seen in seven months. And it's not that there have been any harsh words or problems or anything like that. He said, when we don't see each other, we don't talk. And after a while, it's like two or three months have passed, and I haven't spoken to this person. It's people I used to go out to dinner with, people I used to have lunch with after church. just don't see them anymore. Like I said, it's not like there's been some major break. It's just that we've grown distant. It's kind of like when you meet a friend, a long-lost friend, or, and they say, we need to get together sometime. Has that ever happened? No. No. It's just we don't have regular conversation, regular meeting. We grow distant. And that's what happens in the lives of a lot of Christians. 
You don't have regular prayer, regular meeting time. You just grow distance. Not that you have a problem with God or, or, or that he has a problem with you or that you've, you've done something. It's just that you've done this. And if you are a Christian who has done this with God recently, I'm asking you to recommit yourself to prayer. Remember, guys, the purpose of prayer is to get God, not to get things from God. I'm going to say that again. The purpose of prayer is to get God, not things from God. Okay, God is the, is, is, is the purpose, okay? So we have to move out of this prayerlessness existence we find ourselves in, and we need to become people of prayer. We, we need to be transformed. That's what church and the Christian faith is, is a transforming thing. If you leave here the same way you were when you came out, your time was wasted. We are here to transform. So we have to develop the desire to pray Pastor Cho says this, God has created us in such a way that we need to know the purpose and benefit of something if we are going to be motivated to work for that thing. If we actually realize the benefits of prayer, we would have been praying long time before now. Motivation works on the base of desire. For someone to pray, you must learn to desire prayer. So this is what, these are the reasons why we need to begin desiring prayer. The first thing is this, that prayer produces brokenness. Okay, prayer produces brokenness. You say, well, that's a terrible thing. No, it's not. Brokenness is exactly the state we as Christians must be because only when we, are, uh, only when we experience brokenness can we experience the grace of God. Only when we experience brokenness can we truly, truly reach out and take God's hand. Luke 5, 5 through 8 says this, one of my favorite episodes um, Simon answered, this was, they, they were out fishing, and, and, and Jesus had, had just delivered the, the catch, um, uh, 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 told him to put out to deep water. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and, and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For, all, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Now, why did Simon respond to a blessing from God like this? He had just struck Peter. He just won the lottery as a fisherman. And, he, and instead of saying thank you, he says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Hmm. Do you think that his reaction to God's blessing is the reason why Jesus looked at him and said, you are Peter, and on you I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it? Because when Peter was blessed by God, when, when Peter saw the tremendous work of Jesus, instead of, instead of uh, thinking that it was some echo of his own worth, he said, Lord, this thing you've done is a mirror, and I'm looking at myself, and I'm not that great. So I just, I, Lord, you need to go away from me because I do not even belong in your presence. I don't even deserve to be, whole, I don't even deserve to be within 100 miles of you. And, that when P, and when Peter said that, the next line in the scriptures is when Jesus said this. He said, from now on, you're going to be fishers of men. I'm going to send you out to fish for people. It was after Peter's brokenness demonstration of brokenness that God, that Jesus gave him his calling his passion and he finished strong 
See, guys, brokenness in the life of a believer is necessary for us to realize our need for God. So many of us, the reason we're not pray, we are prayerless is that deep down, we really don't think we need God. I mean, yeah, for eternity, but we don't need him day to day. We don't need him in our lives. We got it covered. And I'm going to speak to the men in here. I don't know the ladies do that, but the men sure are this way, aren't we? We, we, we get so puffed up with our pride and dependence on ourselves that we think we don't need God. And so prayer produces brokenness. I had a, I had a moment this morning, you guys. I really did. Um, as, I, as I was preparing for this, I had a moment as I was praying to God. And I said, God, I, I'm really having, having a tough morning. Because I look at the news, and I have prayed, and I've prayed, and I've prayed, and yet... It doesn't seem like the situation in this country is getting any better. Um, I don't see uh, why in the world people that hate you and hate your church and hate your word and, 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 and cannot stand you, why they are still around, why you haven't dried up their funding, why you haven't stopped them in their tracks. You could do all this, God, and you're not. Uh, I, I, I don't get this. You, you know, Lord, do you understand that your churches are at half capacity right now? That, that, that churches, people are staying home, the churches have been decimated by this, that, uh, that 100 million people since the coronavirus hit that have been forced into extreme poverty. Do you understand it? And you could eradicate this virus in a second, and it hasn't happened, and I, I don't really know what's going on. And whenever I throw a tantrum like that, God always, he always does this. He answered me with complete silence because he knows what's coming next. What comes next is this, and Lord, I'm powerless to do this, so I'm just going to have to trust you. I'm going to have to place all of this on you, and I'm going to have to pray that you do this because in light of that, I am utterly powerless. And the sense of my own brokenness, my own inabilities, my own lack of power hit me so hard after that prayer that... that, that uh, I basically said, okay, Lord, I'm going to let you be God. And God always, when I do that, he always goes, good plan. Because, guys, when I'm trying to be God, I'm not very good at it. But prayer, when you approach God in prayer, you realize your own limitations. You get a real, true view of yourself, and you stop trying to be God. And you stop trying to be the Holy Spirit, and you simply let him be God. That's what prayer does. Second thing. Once we are broken, once prayer produces that brokenness within us, then prayer produces power. Prayer produces power. Acts 4, 29 through 31, this was after some persecution of the church. Peter prayed this, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. As they've, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. God does nothing except in response to prayer, people. He does not move. He does not act without the prayer of his people. That what if we, like John Wesley, lived by that? What if we, what if that was our marching orders? What if we as a church lived by that? What would we look like? How different would our actions be? I look back over the last 12 years of this church when we started 12 years ago, and I look at the living room where the first Catalyst Christian Church service started, a living room, 
And I look at where we are now, and people that, that hear about Catalyst, they're like, man, you guys have done so much overseas. You got more, you're planting a church in Lexington next year, and, and all this stuff that you guys are doing, and, and the, the, the ministries, I can't believe how many ministries you guys are doing, a church your size, and, and, and all these, that's, that's basically what people tell me when they hear about our church, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I'm haunted by what we might have missed. What people would know Christ if we'd prayed for them in the last 12 years? What impact on our community are we missing because we haven't prayed for God to open our eyes? What person has gone through our church, this one really bothers me. A person who's gone through our church is now maybe working a job that God doesn't want them to work instead of being in the ministry on the mission field because we have not prayed God raise up missionaries and pastors and youth ministers and children's ministers from our church. What marriages aren't together because we didn't spend time praying for marriages you guys understand what I'm saying? What are we missing as a church because pr prayerlessness has been a part of our church? You know, do you see how powerful the church could be, you guys? You see how powerful and totally effective in this world the church would be if the people were people of prayer? See, guys, how effective in bringing Christ and his grace to this world of prayer was our driving force. It's amazing. Prayer pr produces the power to accomplish the will of God in this world. That's what prayer does. Uh, two weekends ago, I don't know if you guys saw the, uh, the, the prayer march in Washington, D.C. Did you guys see that? So by Jonathan Kahn and Franklin Graham, 50, 50 to, estimates were 50 to 100,000 Christians were on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., joined by millions online, such as myself, that, that, that day. Did you guys see that? How many of you all saw that? And maybe you all actually joined in. Did you guys participate and watch? Okay, very good. Um, 50 to 100,000 people on the National Mall, not a window broken, not a piece of trash, not one person assaulted, not one uh, car burned, nothing. 100,000 people together. That's pretty amazing. And the prayers of the people lifted up that day. I believe, I truly believe this, set off a spiritual war that, that we've been feeling for the last two weeks. I believe that. You can contest me on that, that's fine, but that's what I believe. And guys, there is a major, major, major war going on right now. And it is not being fought, it's not me versus you, it's not me versus anyone else, it is in the spiritual realm. And, and prayer produces power to do battle like that. I wanna just see a show of hands. If you don't mind, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you all in the last two weeks have felt either a heaviness, a depression, an isolation, a, uh, a, a hopelessness? How, has, any, has that hit anyone in this church? Well, guess what? You're not alone. Online, there have been lots and lots of people saying, I'm sensing this. Ever since that prayer rally, that has hit America, and you are not alone. Believe me, you're not alone. That is spiritual warfare. Now, here's, here's the thing that I will tell you. When does, the, when does the enemy launch an attack? Is it when he's winning or when he's losing? 
when he's losing. Okay, that's when, that's when you have to attack, is when you're losing. You, it, uh, the winning team doesn't feel the need to, to change strategy, to do something new. The winning team doesn't do that. Only the losing team does that. So what does that say about the power of the prayers that were lifted up two weeks ago? It, it basically sent the, the uh, high command of, of, of hell into a panic, and they launched an offensive. That's going to be utterly and totally ineffective because the Bible says greater is he who is within us than he who is in the world. Amen? See, I read the Bible, guys. We win. We win. It doesn't matter what happens. We win. And so let us commit to being people of prayer. Let us commit to, bring, to being people who will bring about the will of God through prayer. If, if, you have, if you are a prayerless Christian, if you've fallen into that, I'm asking you to change right now. That this week and the next week, maybe even the next 30 days, maybe the rest of your life, you become a man or woman or teenager of prayer. Because your prayers shake the very foundations of of hell and Satan's kingdom. Yeah. At its base level, though, prayer is about you and God. It's about you and God. I want to invite the band to come back up as I, I found this little story. I'm going to close with this. A minister passing through his church in the middle of the day decided to pause by the altar to see who come to pray just then, the back door opened, and a man came down the aisle. The minister frowned as he saw the man, hadn't shaved in a while. His shirt was torn and shabby, his coat was worn and frayed. The man knelt down and bowed his head, then rose and walked away. In the days that followed at precisely noon, the preacher saw this chap, each time knelt just for a moment a lunch pail in his lap. Well, the minister's suspicions grew with robbery a main fear, he decided to stop and ask the man, what are you doing here? The old man said he was a factory worker and lunch was half an hour. Lunchtime was his prayer time for finding strength and power. I stay only a moment because the factory's far away. And as I kneel talking to the Lord, this is kind of what I say. I just came by to tell you, Lord, how happy I've been since we found each other's friendship and you took away my sin. Don't know much of how to pray, but I think about you every day. So Jesus, this is Ben, just checking in today. The minister, feeling foolish, told Ben that it was fine. He told the man that he was welcome to pray there any time. It's time to go in thanks, said Ben. Ben said as he hurried to the door. The minister knelt there at the altar, which he'd never done before. His cold heart melted, warmed with love, as he met with Jesus there. As the tears flowed down his cheeks, he repeated old Ben's prayer. Just came by to tell you, Lord, how happy I've been since we found each other's friendship and you took away my sin. I don't know much of how to pray, but I think about you every day. So Jesus, this is me just checking in today. Past noon one day, the minister noticed old Ben hadn't come. As more days passed and still no Ben, he began to worry some. At the factory, he asked about him, learning he was ill. The hospital staff was worried, but he'd given them a thrill. The week that Ben was with them, brought changes in the ward. His smiles and joy contagious. Changed people were his reward. The head nurse couldn't understand how I Ben could be so glad when no flowers, calls, or cards came, not a visitor he had had. The minister stayed by his bed. 
He voiced the nurse's concern. No friends had come to show they cared. He had nowhere to turn. Looking surprised, old Ben spoke up with a winsome smile. The nurse is wrong. She couldn't know. He's been here all the while. Every day at noon he comes here. A dear friend of mine, you see. He sits right down and takes my hand, leans over and says to me, I just came by to tell you, Ben, how happy I've been. Since I found this friendship and I took away your sin. I think about you always. I love to hear you pray. So Ben, this is Jesus just checking in today. God does nothing except in response to the prayers of his people. I want to invite you to stand up and let's worship this awesome God who calls us not just to power, but to brokenness and to relationship.